Hello and welcome to Serious Vintage. I'm Jeff Mose. I'm Nat Mose. And I'm Josh Chappell. Today's episode is the second in our two-part series discussing the early days of magic with Dave Baum. If you haven't listened to the first episode, I'd highly recommend it. In that episode, we talked a lot about Dave's experiences as a tournament organizer. This time around, we'll dig into the wild ride of his experiences running a card store for more than 20 years. This would have been around 1996 that you uh, stopped, right? Because I, I think Mirage came out in 96. and That sounds about right. Visions yeah. and whatever after would have been 96 or 97. And then you didn't do anything around those sets. No, absolutely nothing. I didn't do any okay. tournaments. I didn't even play. And uh, I actually even, I mean, I sold everything that I had. We didn't have any power left or anything. We just liquidated everything we had. It was the best thing for, because, you know, I had partners at the time. And so we, we liquidated everything and then came back to the, I mean, some time had gone by and I had an opportunity. Somebody approached me and said, do you want to get back into selling that stuff? I got a, you know, a showcase here in my store. If you want to sell magic cards, you know, I know you were kind of big into it. You'd probably mm-hmm. do pretty well with it. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I think I'll throw some money into it and see what happens. Because and- at this point, the the game was sort of uh, this. This was sort of like the first growth period of the game, really, because they were they had weathered the the sort of debacle around like overprinting Fallen Empires and stuff like that, and they had yeah, sort of settled into a, a rhythm of producing sets that were good yeah, and like yeah. Well, well, remember Ace Age? You know, as yeah. far as sets go, you know, they had the uh, the overprinting of Fallen a Fallen Empire, and yeah. and really the the mistake there, I think, wasn't so much that they overprinted. I mean, it was a com- it was a, it was a communication it was a, failure with people who were going to sell it. Yeah, because what they did on, is, yeah, everybody wanted it. So right. then they they were like, "Well, how many can I get?" And they're like, "Oh, well, you know, there's going to be limitations. So, you know, we're going to have to yeah. allocate it." And they're like, "Oh, well, I'll take a hundred boxes because you're going to end up getting like thirty, and then right, yeah." So you overorder, right? So they create this massive overorder, and it's a it's a very very small set because everything was like three of, right? Yeah, all the there, there were multiple arts of a lot of pieces, and yeah, like, so they could try to make it look like a larger set, but right. It, and then so it ended up as far as like power in the, at that time, it wasn't a terrible set. No, Fallen Empires has good. Decent cards in it, like yeah, you, you know, it's people yeah. forget that there were cards that were banned at different points in that set. Like, you know, uh, Him to Turok couldn't be played for a while. Him to Turok uh, is good. Goblin Grenade is pretty good. Yeah, um, there was. A, there, I think the there's three knights. really big ones. Um, there was Goblin Grenade, High Tide. High Tide. You know, High Tide. You know, got banned, right? Yeah. Uh, but anyways, uh, not right away, but it eventually right. did. And, you know, and people go, well, this is the worst set ever. I don't think it is. Um, <laughs> it's not the worst set ever. You're just seeing too much of it. Yeah. And, you know, and shop owners were saying things like, well, I'm not going to buy the next set because I got this stuff sitting here still. And at the time, the idea of sitting on something made no sense. You know, it's, uh, it, you know, at that time in retail, the concept was you have an investment, let's say a thousand dollars, and you have one of two types of products. You either have an evergreen product, which you want to have back on the shelf, so you buy it, you sell it, you replace it. 
Mm-hmm. Or you have a cycled item, which would be like magic. It's bought, it sells through, and then you use the, the same money that you had initially invested to buy more of the next set. Right. So you never put more money into it. You just keep cycling it through sure. and you make your margin. And then you should be able to do that forever. And they're sitting on product that they can't sell and they want them to buy the next product. And people are going, no, I'm not going to buy the next product because I haven't sold through this. So they buy it back. And Wizards buys back all of the unsold Fallen Empire. And uh, so if you had it and you you know, you know were a retail store, if you had a full case of it. And I, I don't remember. Cases back then I think were 12 boxes. Uh, they were, I think they were larger then. And okay. uh, so you could send it back and they would give you a full credit. But then they liquidated it at like $10 a box. So they would buy it back for full price, but then they turn around and they're like, well, we got to do something with it. Oh, right. <laughs> so they put it back out. So it's not like it was destroyed. The, so that's why it seemed like it never went up in price for the longest time. Yeah. Because there's just so much of it available. Right. But it seemed like there was so much available, but when you compare it to the number of people who are playing today, it's a pretty small print run compared to oh, a yeah. modern day print run. Yeah. But it was really large then. Yeah. I see what you're saying. That just, just that uh, the, the amount of fallen empires produced back then is, is very small compared to what's produced for a, a standard set release today. And then following up on that, after they have that little bit of a debacle, the, uh, you know, negative press, they were also dealing with, Things like, you know, some guy takes advantage of some kid at the mall, some, you know, and and it had something to do with the game Vampire. So Vampire's being produced by Wizards of the Coast and it's oh, yeah. who makes Magic the Gathering. So there's these evil things like uh, satanic symbols and creatures called demons and, demons. you know, and stuff like that, right? They already scrubbed the satanic stuff out quite a while ago, hadn't they at this point? Yeah, I mean that stuff had. Uh, that's really early on. I mean that that was happening. Um, that was happening at, at the same time that they were dealing with the the problems of uh, the overprinting that they had with uh, Fallen Empire, and then shortly after that, then they got the problem of they decided to do what we would call today a Masters series set, okay. uh, Chronicles. Chronicles, the first Masters series. Yeah, and, and you know people responded even worse then than they did for master series today. I was like, what do you mean you're reprinting these expensive cards that are now not going to be worth as much? Yeah. And, and the, the crazy thing is, is like, I can remember people freaking out over, you know, their $40 legendary dragons going down to like $10. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, by like today's standards, you're talking probably like a hundred dollar card, you know, suddenly going down to like 50 or, or, right. or less. Right. And those cards did nothing. Nobody played them. Right. They were upkeep collector's stores. items. Yeah. yeah they, um, but people were really upset with that, right? Yeah. And now it's not the retailers. It's the consumers who are really upset. Right. And their way to combat it is to create the reserve list. So, you know, honestly, if, if they wouldn't have done the printing on a large scale because that was a fairly large print run yeah i remember buying a lot of chronicles well it was it was white border yep so that meant it was 
um, the distinguishing thing at that time was that if it was white border, it was unlimited print run. Mm. Being unlimited meant that they could print it as often as they wanted. Later, they said, well, we're going to print for a year, so we'll do updates every year. And Chronicles came out and initially was a supplement to 4th edition. 4th edition, right. 4th um, edition wasn't received as well. There was a lot of cards in it that really weren't that good. And Well, we thought, it certainly wasn't as good compared to like revised, uh, revised and unlimited, especially where you had moxes and things like that. Yeah. And dual lands. Dual lands and you know, specifically dual lands. Yeah, right. Um, and then there were cards in uh, that were in revised that weren't in unlimited. Mm-hmm. So they they had already they were already onto the idea that you know you needed to make variations to these sets as you were going forth forward, sure. but fourth edition I think was a larger set compared to revise I think wasn't it like almost like fifty or sixty it's, cards larger uh, like fourth edition is uh, three hundred ninety five cards I think uh, I think they that sounds about right that they added uh, fifty cards or so to, um, on top of what what was in revised. Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's a seemed... it's a huge set, not as big as fifth edition, but a huge set. Yeah, I was thinking, I was thinking it was over four hundred cards. I, th- I thought it was close to. I could be wrong. Man, it's hard to believe that the sets are that big when you think about Fallen Empires is like what one hundred and twenty eight cards. It's like eighty seven yeah, yeah. unique. Yeah, right. Oh, so uh, I'm looking on Wikipedia here, and uh, fourth edition is three hundred and seventy eight. Yeah, uh, one hundred and twenty two yeah. cards. Uh, a revised new. was 306 yeah yeah it was uh it was 122 cards were new uh to the basic set mm-hmm. but they weren't but they were still all reprints they there were was, all reprints right? yeah there was nothing unique uh, uh i mean nothing new like like yeah. they did with uh m10 the annual sets didn't come out annually they they what was the year on fourth? Was that two, 95? 95. Yeah. So 93, 94, 95. Yeah. yeah so fourth, fourth edition actually, was when I started. So like Alpha and Beta were 93. And I think that Revised came out in 93 also, didn't it? Uh, revised was 94. Revised was April 94. Oh, okay. So, uh, oh, Alpha, Beta, Unlimited. Uh, yeah. We're all 93. We're all 93, correct. And because... Uh, yeah, even though they're like first, second, and third prints, the alpha and beta are almost like the same print. They they're just distinguishably different. They are, yeah, they're considered the same by wizards, I guess, because they're they're both of them are considered part of the limited edition, and yeah. then you have unlimited edition, which is the white border where they're right. reprinted as many times as necessary. Yeah, and then fourth, and then is there a jump? Uh, is it like ninety seven? Isn't it 97 uh, when, when March of 97, right? Yeah. yeah so it was like almost a two ago. year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was, it was more than, well, it's more, more than a year. So more than a year. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the same thing happened with sixth. And by that point they were, I think they were trying to establish that they needed to be consistent uh, yeah. in the same season, even, you know, right. come out in the, in the summer, I think, wasn't it supposed to be a summer release then? Uh yeah, I mean sixth edition was also April, so it looks like they were in the spring. Oh, okay, but yeah, they uh, that was after they had developed the the block system of regular standard releases. So you'd have the three sets that go together, and then sixth edition, seventh edition, core set, whatever. 
corsets were every two years though yeah i i thought that it was kind of interesting though that even back then you know like i had mentioned that you know if you look at it 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 does feel like chronicles was like a master series mm-hmm. and and then everybody was surprised with both the love for and the hate of the master series and it's like sure. you, you did the same thing <laughs> yeah a while back and we're getting the exact same result but i don't know that they would never do it again i i think they would they likely would um because there's a thing that happens where generations forget like you guys mm-hmm. Uh, you've experienced certain things, but not from the same standpoint as I have. Right. And you guys are are old compared to the kids that are playing, you know, the people that are entering in. We're, we're very old compared to them. Um, but, but Chronicles also had the thing where it didn't reprint really good cards from the sets that it reprinted. I mean, like you didn't see Mana Drain. Like your better cards were like Blood Moon, which... You know, I, I don't know that Mana Drain was... Um, you know the the legends cards and the Arabian cards and even the dark to some degree mm-hmm. in antiquities for sure, but those card those sets are very small print sets. That's true. And you didn't really see a lot of those cards actively in major tournaments unless you were in an area where they were heavily distributed. Sure. So I don't know oh, if they really knew what the good cards were. what the good cards were. Yeah, because I mean, like you know, you look like. Misha's Workshop, Library of Alexandria, even something more innocuous like Maze of Ith, like uh, none of those were reprinted. Like, right. There were a lot of cards that could have been in there that were not. And, you know, looking at what was chosen for Chronicles is like, I don't know why you chose this. Some of these are weird. <laughs> uh, you, you know, Juzam Jin isn't in there. <laughs> One of the mistakes I think they made printing that set is they uh even though they did white border versus black border they still printed the expansion symbols so like as a kid mm. i didn't have access yeah, to true. all the cards so i remember being so excited to have an arabian nights city of brass that i eventually found yeah. out was a chronicles city of brass because you didn't know yeah well yeah and and to go on that i felt like even at that time sets like legends arabian nights the dark even being only like a couple of years old, they felt completely out of reach. And Mm -hmm. like, it was, it was a very rare thing to see those cards around just because there were not many of them available. It seemed like to me. Well, and and you didn't see packs of them on shelves. And if you did, they were, they were far more expensive than Chronicles and Fallen Empires, which, well, I've got $10 in my pocket and can buy 10 packs of Fallen Empires. I'll go ahead and do that. You know, it's funny is is that the guys that you play with when you know the, when you're at events, when I've gotten together with you guys and I've seen people playing, you know, everybody has power and everybody has four mana drains yeah. and everybody has four workshops. You know, back then it wasn't like that. Sure, there was this economy in, uh, of change that happened or, or change in in that economy, I should say. Yeah, and uh, and even though they were higher value it's always the newest cards that are really the cards that are turning right Uh, Mm -hmm. you know if i have a play set of uh, underground seas and i put them up for sale i might be able to find somebody to buy them fairly quickly because i have connections but if the kid down the block inherited a set from his father somehow and decided to sell them he doesn't know who he's going to sell them to he doesn't know the people who would want to buy them 
and doesn't know the people who are able to buy them. Yeah. And then even if he does find somebody, it's like, and they say, well, I'm going to give you half the value. And they're going to go, well, that's still pretty good. That's more yeah, than I yeah. had, you know, and they might sell them really cheap, yeah. which allows for people to get, you know, their play sets, you know, mm-hmm, other, mm-hmm. other people who, who actively are playing. And it's always been like that, you know, it's, yeah, sure. uh, uh, it's, it's not a whole lot different now, except for that when you're at a convention now, you can open up an app really easy and, and make a comparison and say, this card right. online is selling for this amount. Can you go more? Yeah. And it's really easy to open up a different app and, you know, reach 20 times the audience you normally would have. I mean, you can, I mean, I could yeah. post a, a post a card on Twitter or post a card on Facebook and like, here's so much more, so many more eyes that are going to see yeah. it. And potentially so, you know, it. I was, uh, I went to, I think it's Livonia, Michigan. There was a yep. giant flea market up that way. And I went there just to, you know, shop, uh, I, I wanted to meet some artists and they would have a couple of, you know, the uh, Michigan artists. The, I think Susan Van Camp was from that area. She did uh, some some early cards, you know. And th- I mean, this was a, this was during that time period. So um, Ice Age uh, had been out for a while. I think we were at this point, we were maybe Urza Saga or Urza Block, I should say. The Urza Block was starting to okay. finish up. Yeah. Uh, foil cards were starting to show up, right? And people were dumping money into these foil cards and they would give up old cards to get the foils because they oh. thought this was the new thing that they thought was exciting, right? Sure. And I remember talking to somebody about they had uh, Ice Age, which just before, not too long before, was like $3 a pack and now all of a sudden they're 5 Mm-hmm. And they, they're like, yeah, this stuff is like, really, it's getting harder and harder to find. And I would go from, you know, booth to booth and talk with all these different people. And what I had put together was that when Wizards started doing Chinese and Japanese and Korean mm-hmm. and Spanish, it was very strategic. And, you know, they did Spanish uh, to try to hit the Latin American countries and you know, south of anything south of the United States, right? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you go, you know, up into Canada, you're still English, and then you just curve down a little bit, and you're right there at Japan, and they have Japanese, and then they have Chinese, and they had the two, there, there's two dialects, is that right? I don't know how you say that. There's yeah, two simplified, different, and, simplified yeah, in Mandarin. They had that, and then they did Korean also right there. A little further south, you're back into Australia. So the entire Pacific Rim... Yeah. was being targeted served by, yeah served yeah. by the new new languages right yeah and that as they were being introduced to the game they did not have english cards they didn't uh-huh. you know they didn't have the american cards and they were never going to see a printing of power right it was believed that um, a very large percentage of power left the country at that point yeah and, you know, people have tried to estimate the numbers. I don't think there's ever been an actual number released. But just some of the people that I knew over the years that had more access to maybe knowing the information, you know, this is this is purely based on faith and trust, right? Oh, sure. The estimation that I heard that probably sounds most accurate is that there was maybe 5,000 printed in each 
of the different print runs, the alpha, mm -hmm. beta, and then unlimited. Okay. And I don't know how accurate that is because I, I do think that unlimited is probably a lot, slightly larger print run than I, alpha Yeah, I think, I think actually those numbers are more accurately available. And I think, I think uh, unlimited is up around 10,000, but I don't yeah. I, mean, I don't that remember would, that would and if I, I will put more accurate numbers in the write-up if I can find it, but I, I think they're more, more prevalent than that. But and, that and alpha point, is very small. The alpha is like yeah. 1100 per rare. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, if those, you know, let's say it, it is like, you know, 15,000 total yeah. that, um, between yeah. the three print runs. If half of them left the United States going just to the Pacific Rim, Mm. What percentage also went to Europe? Well, I know on the uh, on the Mandarin, the vintage forums, like there was a lot of discussion about like when uh, European economies were strong and the U.S. economy was relatively weak, a lot of European players bought their power and had it shipped overseas. And a lot of and nobody knows for sure, but there's a lot of speculation that a lot of power has left the United States mm -hmm. and is now in European hands. As things have shifted, some of it's starting to come back, but it's hard to know for sure, obviously. But yeah, and you're absolutely it, right. It's also, you know, just through general attrition, how many mm -hmm. are lost forever yeah. uh, because of water damage or, you know, any yeah, number right. of things. You know, there's also a certain percentage that are there, but they, they're they lost. Effectively currently. unplayable. Yeah. Or or just maybe lost, you know, where they're, mm -hmm. they're sitting in somebody's attic or some, you know. Yeah. Or just simply in someone's collection of things where we believe. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that's the justification, I guess, for why they are so valuable. Mm-hmm. Uh, because there's it, only yeah. so many in the marketplace at any general time. Right. It still kills me though how many black lotuses I've owned. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have an estimate there? Do you know how many you've passed through your hands? Well, I I used to, I you know I was I was thinking about it one day and uh, actually not too long ago and I I started writing it down. Okay. Well, you know, we gave one away at this tournament and then there was a mm -hmm. tournament here. And, and I started thinking about, well, did I buy other ones? Were there other times that I bought them and then just sold them? And I'm pretty sure it was like eight, mm. which, you know, eight's not a large number, but eight of a card that's worth that much money is a lot to me. Oh, sure. So, but yeah, compared to like star city or somebody, I, I'm yeah. sure they had, they had the same ones over and over and over again, probably. Yeah. I mean, considering that you are a, you for a long time have owned a small store in Sandusky, Ohio, like that's, that's still a, a number that has, that holds some cachet. Yeah. I still, I still get excited though. When everybody comes, uh, uh, comes up to the shop for a tournament or something and, and you get to see all that, all that on the boards. All, there, on the there's tables. still something about seeing the money cards being played. I mean, obviously we are, very allowing and accepting of uh, proxies play test cards at our events, but like, um, well, you have to be, otherwise people can't get in. Yeah. Right. Otherwise we don't get anyone who plays. <laughs> yeah. But, but it's, but there's still something about seeing the real cardboard and like, like, Oh, that's a nice piece of power or whatever that, or, Hey, that Mox Emerald has seen some love. Like that's obviously been around the block a few times. Is there a, in the reserve list, is there a rule from Wizards that says that they can't do the power as like gold border they, term? So they they reprinted reserve list cards as judge promos early on. So like uh, Wheel of Fortune got printed as a judge promo, mm -hmm. uh, but they since pretty quickly closed that loophole 
and said, no, we're not going to do any reserved list cards, any, any printing. Yeah. yeah. I think the gold border power is pretty much out. Snow duels are out, that sort of thing. So there's, yeah. they've, they've, wait, why are snow duels out? Because they're not sufficiently different from regular duels. Like there's, oh. there's not enough difference between the playability of snow covered tundra versus regular tundra. Snow covered tundra, sense. like you can't, you, why would you do a snow covered? It makes sense. I know. Right. It's, it's, <laughs> it's redundant for one, but. What do they, what do they call that? It's function. It's yeah, a, they needed to be functionally different. Or fun- functionally yeah. different. Yeah. yeah. And it was, so things like that are not going to happen. But like, I mean, apparently um, what's the, there's a, there's a sliver that's essentially Juzam Jin, but it's a sliver. Oh, yeah, Plague and Sliver. Plague Sliver, right. And that one is apparently functionally enough different that that one's printed. I don't, I don't know where the line was drawn, but it's like. Well, it's not like, you know what, it, it was probably okay because, um Nobody looks at it that way. Nobody, nobody's playing that card, right? Uh, right. Just, you know, in replace of the other. Well, I mean, I mean, like you could, if the deck was good enough, you could build mono black with plague slivers, and you know, it would be effectively the same as Juzam Jin. But uh-huh. except if you play multiple of them, you take two damage instead of one. No. Or is it four damage? It must be four damage. They, I'm sure it stacks. Oh yeah, and, yeah, because of each one. Yeah. Right. So that's that's the functional difference, and apparently that's bad enough. I was thinking about it too. So when did you when did you first open a store? Because um, Jeff and I have, or I anyway, have gone to like five five or six different stores that you've owned. That sounds correct. Even even so, in Sandusky. Yeah. So not including so, the one in Huron or the one in Port Clinton that I've also so been. So here here's how it, how that happened. I uh, so when I entered back into it without partners, and I had my own thing where I was like running tournaments uh and, and it was just me running some tournaments you know i had uh the little booth that was inside of a sports card shop and you know it was a single uh single showcase and i think i had binders behind it uh the showcase for all the different sets you know gosh then i had to create spreadsheets with pricing and you know tcg player didn't exist yet really it was i think it was called was it called the dojo was kind of like a checklist kind of a thing that they had with some pricing but you know things were actively changing and they weren't updating it was that back when scry and inquest and the duelist were yeah we did have have the magazines but the thing is is like i know those were out of date as soon as they were printed (laughs) right you know like when sixth edition rules hit the card that went crazy was uh morphling Mm-hmm. Um, because sixth edition rules made that card pretty phenomenal. Right. And, um, boy, I, I remember people like traveling to try to find those. They would, they would travel, they'd just drive, you know, from town to town trying to find stores and, sure. you know, and get that card before it became, you know, and you, and I think it went from, I think it was like a card that went from like a dollar to like $20 in just a matter of days. Yeah. You know, the only way you would know about it is if you were on boards, if you were on the internet. And sure. the internet was starting to, to become something, but it was still expensive. You had to afford a computer, and, and computers were not so inexpensive that people, everybody could have one. They were just, right. they, were, they were fairly costly. And right. then. Well, and you, you had to know where to look, too. Even if you had a computer yeah. and an internet connection, like you had to, I mean, it was hard to find, like. Well, search engines a, a place s- to go, still right? weren't yeah. that good, right? You right. Know? You couldn't you couldn't find Star City games that had a price list. You had to right. 
dig to yeah. find the Magic the Gathering. Yeah, and like Google, I think, was still being run like with index cards or something. Right. You know, it's like they they just it was all handmade. It, you know, didn't it wasn't a big algorithm. Right. Uh, so yeah, you, it was hard to find uh, forums and find information and know what was happening because if something's going on in Chicago, you might not realize it in New York right, right away. And there were hotbeds. There were there were areas, you know, that like you know, Seattle area was a hotbed simply because that's where the company was out that direction. And then Texas was huge, and uh, Ohio had a large player yeah. base. You know, I, I would meet people at like uh, conventions, and they'd be from New York, and they'd be bragging about how great things are. And it's like they're no better than they are. You know, it's yeah we're doing the same volume you are and we're in ohio and they're and they're making fun of ohio like we got the largest ball of string or something you know it's like like they don't realize yeah, right, ohio is right. the sixth largest state in the country or something right you know? well and it's it's a very uh it's very close to a lot of different places like you could drive from chicago to columbus in a day or you know well, you for know, a, that's for a weekend part of, or whatever. And yeah, that's Pittsburgh part of the reason why Nashville things was so good else. for us here because yeah. uh, the highway system, you know, sure. that, that stretched between Chicago and, uh, you know, like Pittsburgh. It was like right. halfway between the two. Right. And we're halfway yeah, between those. Detroit and Cleveland. So if you right. knew somebody in those towns, you were halfway. It was a good meeting point. Right. And uh, coming up from the south, it was a little more difficult, but there were still highways that got you here pretty quickly. Right. So Sandusky ended up being a, a pretty good area for magic, or early on at least. I think yeah, you know it, yeah. it changed as technologies changed. Well, and eventually um, people wanted to go to cities that were destinations rather than Sandusky. Yeah. So you you know you'd want to go to a city that had a major airport and some nice hotels and stuff like that. Like they, uh, what were we t- what were we talking about just before that? the the original question was when did you open a store? Oh right, so. <laughs> Should have wrote it down. That's right. So yeah, what I did, um, what had happened was I, uh, you know, I had that little shop that I was working out of, and uh, the guy that owns the place, uh, he starts, you know, going through this weird change. Like he brings in a gun and puts it underneath the register, and uh, and the register is like everybody, everybody still has access to go behind the register. It's not like there's a a big partition or something, you know, or a showcase Uh or something in the way. And, uh, and then he starts yelling at little kids like this, uh, what, what finally broke, you know, broke it for me was he, this little kid comes in and it's in the dead of winter and it's snowing out these giant, giant snowflakes. And, uh, and it's really cold. His dad drops him off. The kid comes in, he's got a bunch of snow on his shoes. He puts his shoe up on the chair so he could tie his laces. And, and the guy that owns the shop freaks out over him putting his shoe on the chair with all that snow and slush and starts screaming at him and tells him to go home. Oh man. And the kid's like maybe seven and, uh, and he's got to walk, you know, and Pokemon was really big uh-huh. and he's got to walk. It turns out they're not even from this part of the town and it's, you know, it's a, oh. it's a fairly large town. So he's, you know, he, he's got to walk all the way to the other side of the, you know, of the city. And so, right. Yeah. He, he can't he, walk home essentially. <laughs> well, he does. And oh, his dad, you know, I'm getting ready to close the owner of the shop left and I'm getting ready to close. And, uh, and I get a phone call and this guy claims he's going to come down and he's going to beat me up. Those aren't the words he used, but he's going to beat me up. 
And there's no reason for me to doubt that he's going to come beat me up. And I'm trying to tell him, I'm not the guy you should be upset with. I didn't kick him out. I'm sorry that this happened, you know, but uh, you really need to speak with the owner. He'll be here tomorrow at this time. And uh, I go and I just decide, I don't know if I called my wife or what, but I was like, I don't know. You know, things are just getting so terrible here. I don't think I should be here anymore. Sure. And I had Somebody who I had spoke with that night uh, told me I should go get all my stuff and just pull it out. And so I did. And then I went back the next day and he told me that, yeah, that guy came out and confronted him and had to call the police. And he's upset about me taking my stuff out. And I'm like, <laughs> I, I, you know, I don't know what to do because you keep doing crazier and crazier things. I think you need to get some help. And uh-huh. I just can't be here anymore. And so... I leave and, uh, and you know, he's threatening, he's going to sue me for something. I don't know, but it's, uh-huh. you know, he's really upset about it. And I decided I'm just going to get a, uh, I'm just going to find some place to store it. One of my friends had a, had an apartment that was, uh, he didn't use the whole thing and he had this one closet and I told him, well, you know, can I put a lock on it and I'll give you, you know, like 20 bucks a month or something to sure. just rent that lock, you know, that closet. And he's uh-huh. like, yeah. And so a lot a lot of people played over at his house. So it worked out. It was okay. Until I found out that he had a way that he could take the door off the hinge oh. and still go in there and steal a bunch of cards, oh. which, which he was doing. And it's like, oh, you know, here's this, you know, I figured it out one day. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I'm seeing paint chips on the floor from where he's taking the door apart every couple of days. Right, <laughs> sure. You know, and so I decided, well, I got to get a new place. And so I rent this little room on the seventh floor of the Fike building downtown. And I think the Fike building was eight stories tall. And it's like a, I think it's like 10 by maybe 15 feet, I think, was the size of the store. And it was supposed to just be a storage place. But people would call me almost every day and say, hey, you're going to be down there. Uh, when's the next time you're going to be down there? And yeah. So I just established, well, these are going to be the times that I'm going to be here. So you guys can come by anytime during this time. And it just naturally became a store. Sure. Pretty soon I needed to rent the place that was next door to there. Were you running events or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, we'd have little you... tournaments and stuff. And, okay. and I would travel to different cities and run uh, events at different towns um, for both Magic and Pokemon and I had a few big events and uh, it was it was going okay, but I didn't want it to get too large because you know this is like a one man show, right? Uh-huh. I I can't let it get too big. But I kept thinking, you know, I'm on the seventh floor and I'm doing okay, but I'm working full time job, and uh, you know I come down after work and I hang out there for a few hours and yeah, um, you know that was uh, I'll tell you when that happened was uh, when you know September 11th. Uh, yeah. Uh, that happened while while I was there, and you know, I got off work that day and went to the shop, and there was like thirty kids, young young people, you know, uh, all high school and younger, right? And they're all standing in the hallway because they've been out of school for a while and just waiting. They don't know what to do. They don't yeah, understand. Right. They really didn't understand what had just happened, right. and uh, they needed to be someplace. And, you know, even their parents are still at work. It's like the worst, like one of the worst days in American history and everybody was at work. 
you know, mm-hmm. just, you know, yeah, not, yeah. You know, just trying to go on like it's a regular day. And I hear this, um, you know, the, there's a run on gas and I'm like, you know, I ask somebody to, to watch the shop and I leave and I go get gas and, you know, and that was crazy. And so I come back and I saw, saw a guy punch a guy and knock him out at the gas <laughs> pump. And I get back and, and I'm like, I gotta take these kids home. I can't, we can't be here like this, you know? So, sure. so I drove them all home, like four at a time. I'd drive them all home. I told him, you're not allowed to leave. I'm going to drive you home because I don't know what's going on out there. But people are crazy right now. Yeah. And if I couldn't get hold of their parent, then I would wait. You'd have to stay and wait until I can talk to your parents if they can't come pick you up, you know. Yeah. So that night I decided this is this is crazy. What am I doing on the seventh floor of the Fike building? You know, it just doesn't make sense. It's not, you know, I'm trying to operate a real store. And it's not a real store. And then it's like, I don't even, I, I need to be like in a real good location. Right. So right. I find a new place and it's still in the downtown, but it's kind of on the edge of the downtown. And you know, Josh, I, I think it was your mom. I, I think it was your mom who came in. <laughs> uh, somebody's parent went out of your group, came to the shop and, uh, and said that, Oh, my, my son and my, and his friends would love this place. And then she must have gone and told you guys about it. And then, because I'm pretty sure that was like the first of my stores that you guys probably came to. It was on Washington Street. Yeah, and, I remember uh, this one. That was definitely the first one I went to. Yeah. This is the Hero Zone, right? I think it, yeah, I think it was called, I think it did call it the Hero Zone. Yeah, that yeah. was the yeah. first time I called it the Hero Zone. Prior to that, it was, uh, it wasn't anything. It didn't have a name at all. Yeah. No, that's not true. When I was up on the when I was in the fight building, I did put up a sign called the Hero Zone. That mm. definitely does sound like something my mother would do. I would be surprised that she would have like <laughs> her, her finger like that on the pulse of like what was did going she, on. But did she work in Sandusky? Yeah, she did. She was a phys ed teacher at Sandusky for like thirty years. Yeah, I think it was like she came in. It was uh, in the evening after school, and I mean, I worked during the day for the county. And yeah. I remember, yeah, I think it, I think it was your mom. And then, like you guys all came over, and uh, yeah, you guys were always into like. Remember, I had that nickel bin. Yeah. yeah, you guys would stand at that. You would stand at that box of nickel cards and it'd go through every single card. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I know. I went through rows upon rows of that and bought so many multiple cards. times. Yeah, it was like <laughs> I, and, it, and it'd be like I'd spend like five dollars and get a hundred cards. And yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Probably sold most of them back to you later on. Maybe, or, or <laughs> traded them or something. Yeah, yeah. Right. The uh, so I actually I still had uh, I'd still have power at that time. Um, mm-hmm. I was, uh, I was picking up power and, uh, and somebody broke into the store and stole it all. You know, the police, they were like, they stole your cardboard. You know, they didn't care. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, they didn't and, understand. Right. And, uh, so the city of Sandusky has this, uh, position called mayor aficionado and we don't have what's called a strong mayor. So we have a city council and one member of the city council is, is then elected by the other members of the city council to be the head of the city council as the right. mayor aficionado. That person, uh, his last name was Cresser. I don't, I don't remember his first name. And uh, I just always called him Mr. Cresser. 
he had gone to school with my mother. So I went to him and I said, Hey, uh, you know, my store was broken into and this stuff was stolen and I can't even get a police officer to listen to me. And, yeah. and he's like, okay. So he says, I'll make arrangements. And uh, so this police officer shows up and says, the mayor sent him over and uh, he's a detective and the mayor sent him over and, and he needed to talk to me about what had happened. And I told him, you know, this is, you know, I even think I know who the person that broke in was. And I mm -hmm. make this description and I told him what had happened. And he goes, uh, this almost sounds really familiar. You sure you didn't talk with anybody? And I said, yeah, I, nobody would talk to me. I'd go in and I'd say, you know, I was robbed. I've you know, broken into and, and it just falls apart when they find out that it's, you know, these card. I understand that you guys think it's just a game, but, you know, these things are worth a lot of money. And he goes, hold on. So he calls me later on and he says, you know, the reason I thought that this sounded familiar was because there was a, a thing about Magic the Gathering cards that somebody had called and placed a complaint over the phone they were from mm -hmm. Texas and they said that they had ordered some cards off of somebody from eBay, but never got them. And they were the same cards that you said by title. So I went over and he said, I, tr I tracked down the person that was the seller and I went to his house and I knocked on the door and he answered it. And he looked at me and says, I wondered how long it would take you to get here. Ugh. And it was the guy, they caught him. And so we, we get ready to go to court. It took me forever to get the cards back and we go, we get ready to go to court and uh, I'm standing there and I find out that, oh, I actually, I don't know if it was the day before I found this out or, or if it was on the spot, but it turned out that his wife and my wife worked at the same place and oh. knew each other. And she, I guess, went to Lori and was really upset. I'm sorry. You know, I, Oh, wow. You know, my husband's the one that, you know, broke into your husband's shop. And, that seems and awkward. Yeah. It was. And then when I go up there, I'm like, oh, this guy just, he really got himself in way too deep into something. And he wasn't a terrible person. He just did a terrible action, you know. And I think that's the way most people are is, the, you know, people do make some pretty serious mistakes. So I told the judge that and he said i really don't you know from my standpoint you know you gotta do what you gotta do but yeah. you know if you can show some leniency towards them i it would be beneficial to me well, did, and you got your cards back yeah i got everything back yeah, I, huh. I didn't have any losses he admitted to everything he was going to have to do some time you know and he was going to have to pay some fines uh yeah sure but as far as I was concerned, he didn't owe me anything because I got everything. Yeah, you got everything back. I was I was whole at that point, right? Yeah, he, he got in some pretty big trouble. And one of the things, though, that had happened was he said that he didn't steal any money. And um, I told mm -hmm. him, well, yeah, but the all the petty cash was gone. And he said, I didn't steal that, but I'll, you know, I'll pay it. So, you know, he did include that and he paid that back. Well, I started thinking about it. It turns out the guy that I'm renting from was the one that came to the shop first when it had been broken into. Uh -huh. And I think he's, I think the guy that I was running from 
This is stole like the, the second time this has happened to you, right? Yeah. Is the guy that stole the petty cash, and it wasn't that much money. It was like you know, a hundred bucks maybe. Yeah, it's petty uh, cash. cash register <laughs> and petty cash, right? Right. And uh, you know, I told I told him the story. I said, you know, this is the guy I'm running from, and I'm not really renting from him. It's it's kind of a complicated situation. So this guy that owns the building doesn't own the building. He's uh, his father had passed away and this father had owned the building and the building is owned by him, but through a trust because his father didn't didn't believe his son was competent enough to, to own the property. And when he passed away, he had it all set up that way and he wanted the building for himself. And he was like doing things I didn't realize to try to make it so that I would leave. And so he comes in and he, he does this, bizarre thing he's like hey watch this here look and he pulls out of his pocket a knife and like one action right he just he pulls this knife out and he throws it and like i'm, I'm watching oh. the knife fly through the air and it's opening up like you know it's like a t-handle or something right and it opens up and then it lands in the floor sticking in the floor right and i look back at him he's holding a gun and he's pointing at the the knife and he goes Blam, blam. He says that, right? He goes, blam, blam. And he looks at me and he says, that's how easy it is to get away with murder. <laughs> oh. Oh, my. He walks over, picks up the knife, and then walks out. And I'm like, he just threatened to kill me? What, what was that? <laughs> that's Also, that's not a great plan to get away with murder. That's a plan to commit murder. Yeah, but right. <laughs> there's several steps beyond that. <laughs> It was almost the same thing. So I got to move again. So I went to the trust and, uh, you know, told the lawyer what had happened. And she's like, okay, well, you know, how about if I give you back all your money that it cost you to open up the store and we'll, we'll do away with the lease. We'll break, you know, we'll cancel the lease and then I'll give you another, how much money will it cost you for a down payment into a new location? I said, well, I don't know. And, uh, so I thought, but this is a really good opportunity for me to get out into a main shopping district because somebody else has to pay for it and, oh, yeah. uh, or is willing to pay for it. And then I, and that's when I moved it out to Perkins Ave, which is so the place with the columns. They had the columns out front. Yeah. yeah and, it, uh, and that's like the number two highest trafficked area in, in the city. Sure. So I had a good deal there for a few years. We did a lot of growth, moved into a lot of different products and stuff. You had a big space there too. I don't remember ever playing an event there, but you had a big, big room in the back. I remember. Yeah. Yeah. We had a large tournament area and people would travel in, you know, going back to Tim Aiton, uh, he had, uh, placed high in a tournament. And one of the things that we did, uh, and this is actually the last time I saw him, uh, one of the things that we did was we would put the cards, um, you know, the top decks, we would, give credit to whoever had the top deck and then we would list the cards for that deck and we'd put it all on a, a nice stand-up card and oh, okay you know inside the showcase and then we'd have all the cards for sale right there with that deck mm, sure sure i didn't recognize him when he came in tim and mm-hmm. uh him and somebody else came in and they they noticed that it was his deck and then they went over and they sat down and they were playing and then uh his friend pointed out to me that yeah you got his deck right there and the, I go, yeah. oh, yeah. So I got to go see it. And that was, I got to say hi to him. And that was like the last time I saw him. And yeah. that was that was after 9-11. But it was before yeah. the uh, 
before that blackout that we had. That would have been maybe 2003 or 2004 when we had the major blackout when like most of Ohio got blacked out. Remember the power outage? I'm not remembering that, but it was like this... I do. I remember the event, but I don't remember the time. Yeah, yeah. That was uh, that was another one of those things. You know, people were like, "Are we under attack again? What's going yeah, on?" Yeah, sure. And so Northeast blackout of 2003. 2003. Oh, yeah. So that was that was about the last time. It wasn't that day, but it was around that time when, was, yeah. when I saw him last. Huh. But yeah, we were there for a few years, and then uh, then I moved it downtown. And we were downtown for quite a few years. Yeah. And in fact, that's uh, I was there for quite a while. And then Matt Morgan took over the store from me. Right. And I went full time at the county. But my job then got spun off as a uh, privatized job. Uh, mm. The department I was in privatized, I should say. Yeah. And I got pulled over into that. And the promotions that I was promised didn't happen. And politics were insane. And. You know, the office politics were just, they were just horrible. And I just decided, I think I want to go back into retail. And so that's when I reopened the shop that was in uh, Huron. And that was only for like a year and then moved back over to Sandusky. And it's been a couple of moves again. Each time was like a growing, you know, we'd, we'd outgrow the space and we'd go into a new location and to a larger location or to a better location. And now it's like a... You know, it's a three thousand. It's over three thousand square feet. It's a. It's like right around thirty five hundred square feet. So it's a fairly yeah. large store now compared to anything else I'd had in the past. Yeah, I mean, like you've you've been in this for a long time, and it seems like even with that, like every time you've moved, you've learned something different or done something different, or you've you've been constantly trying to improve or make yeah. changes or whatever. You know, it's it's terrible because having that inconsistency is in one way it's prevented me from having a lot of the growth that I really want to have. But at the same time, it's also allowed for a lot of growth that I've had. Um, So it's, it's kind of hard to know if, uh, if, if it's been beneficial or not. Mm -hmm. Um, I I have a couple of friends that are, uh, that have been fairly consistent in what they do and uh, without having to move a lot and, Mm. you know, with, with retail and I see what they do and they're very focused on what they do. And they, you know, they're more established, I think, than what our store was. But then, but then again, they don't do magic singles like I do. Like their stores are the one person stores only like board games, uh, board games and tabletop in general. Uh And the other is just comic books. And I see. I'd say if there's anything that puts us out different than everybody else is that we have a lot of singles, magic singles, mm-hmm. and we don't sell them online. Right. So the inventory is always pretty full. Do you feel like that's a drawback for you that you don't sell them online? I mean, obviously you don't get a lot of churn, but like there's, you still end up with stuff that's kind of rare that kind of hangs out for a while. The turn is slower, but you don't, you, you get a, a much higher margin. I think that people who are doing online, it's okay if they have low rent. Hmm. If you're trying to be a real store, though, if you want to be a real brick-and-mortar store and you're trying to sell online, you're doubling your expenses and hmm. you're shrinking. So, you're, so your expenses are higher and then the amount that you can sell for is lower. Oh, sure. So your margin becomes 
like nil. It's like, it's like, it doesn't seem to me to be a good idea. Sure. There's some stores I, I think that have done okay with that, but by judging how many stores have closed, uh, mm-hmm. because they can't really make money. I think it's better to not sell online. Oh, interesting. There's been a lot of changes in, in the way, uh, you know, it happens like this with everything. You know, you go through different types of life cycles. Uh, mm-hmm. You can look at it from a micro scale or a macro scale. And like, you know, from the sense of a macro scale with magic, it entered in, you know, its life cycle. And then remember it had all those, you know, it, it, it has this like rise and then it peaks and then it and then all of a sudden there's a crisis right and oh, sure and then, and then there's a, a, a new awakening and it starts to rise again and then and then it enters into a crisis and it drops and it, right. but the, the the cycles become the the time of the cycle becomes larger and larger mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so like early on they were fairly rapid now they they're happening in different speeds and you know every time you hear somebody go oh that's it it's done you know, they just killed yeah. magic. It's like they've never seen any of – they don't maybe understand yeah. the life cycles. Right. Well, and things – the the game itself is more able to weather things. So like the – Just simply mayhem. because of the numbers yeah. of how it's, many it's people got, are playing. Right. It's got more inertia basically. Like it, uh, it's able to – So much. Yeah. To, to survive it, through a downturn um, or – It would take something really at this point. It would take something significant yeah. uh, to end – that and yeah. uh, like if you think about like model railroading uh <laughs> prior to world war ii yeah you know was like the number one hobby and then world war ii happened and every model train got melted down and turned into a bullet you know or into battleship or whatever they right. needed the metal for and then afterwards it was like do i really want to put money back into that you know or do yeah, i sure. you know it's because really what's of interest to me is something completely different now. Mm-hmm. And so it lost its momentum. And as long as there's not something that happens that would force people to lose complete interest in it. And right. and now there's still, there's still, you know, there's the digital version versus the regular yeah. playable version, uh, the card version and paper version. And then even in that, you have all the different formats. Yeah. Uh, there's, I mean, it's not just magic, the gathering it's, and that's what Wizards is starting to recognize and that and that they're attacking right now is that they see that there's sub-markets uh, yeah. within this large market. Well, it's a lot easier to uh, play the format that you want in the way that you want. I mean, we've, we've talked about the MTG Underground on this show before where it's like you don't need to be guided by only play standard or only do drafts or only do modern. Like if you want to do fourth edition Chronicles Cube or you want to do middle school chaos draft or whatever like play the magic that you want to play and if there isn't a scene for that build it yeah and your friends will come out if they want to come out and if you yeah. want to do it at a store or do it at a bar yeah well, one whatever. of the things i've seen is that like pack sales um even though they're higher mm-hmm. you know constantly growing what's growing at a faster rate are single sales oh, and sure. i think the reason is because of all these subgroups mm-hmm you know, the question is, is, uh, well, I only need three cards out of that new set. Do I open up, you know, a case? Right. I need a play set of three cards. Why would I open a whole case? Right. So it's behooving to the stores to be opening packs 
but the problem with that is is that they use these calculators and they say well you know if i if i open up 10 cases i'm not even going to break even you know, right. because the resale value today is not high enough but wizards is making that easier by putting in these um, chase cards mm-hmm. which is making that difference so if people aren't calculating correctly, then they might be making the wrong decisions. Mm-hmm. Or I should say shop owners. Yeah, because you, you're suddenly the shop owner is kind of the one playing the lottery rather than the player because yeah. they're the ones who need to open the chase card rather than the, the player hoping to open well, the Well, that's if they need immediate turnaround. Right. And what they're failing to realize is that this product is a weird product in that it's probably the only product in the world that enters its life cycle in liquidation Mm. and you know the race to the bottom right oh sure and wizards is printing it they're overprinting on purpose because they want that product to last more than a year Mm. they're not going to be selling it but the wholesaler wants to have it and then right then these side investors are buying large quantities and they're sitting on them and you know so even though like returned ravnica came out five years ago six years ago Mm -hmm. probably longer than that um yeah they're not a whole lot higher right now than they were then i think like in our store we sell it for like five dollars a pack and you know when it came out it was four dollars a pack it was four right yeah so it's not significantly higher but if you were looking at like i talked about earlier ice age five years six years after ice age that stuff was you know five dollars or higher uh, when it started off at like 250 so it's more than doubled Obviously, you have been doing this for a while. Um, I'll steal a line of questioning from Peter Atkinson's YouTube podcast. What, what do you think is your greatest success, your favorite thing you've ever done? And then what's the, the thing that you maybe regret doing or would have done differently? I, you know what? I, it's kind of funny. Um, I was just at another person's shop not too long ago. And, you know, I'm in their store and, you know, they're, they're pretty successful. You know, I look at their store and I'm thinking, you know, the guy's happy. He's, you know, he's doing something that he has this freedom that most uh-huh. people don't. Working for yourself, kind of like attaining some success out of it with, you know, meeting the American dream. and Right. And, he, and he's happy. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I have the store, which is like way nicer than his store, I'm thinking, right? <laughs> And I'm thinking, you know, all the work that I put into it and everything, it's this weird double-edged sword because the people who are regulars at my store look at it and think, well, aren't all stores like this, you know? Mm -hmm. And they kind of don't know that they have this premium place Mm -hmm. and, you know, and, and still has very liberal ideas as far as what they're allowed to do inside, you know, when they come in and they play. Mm-hmm. And um, I'd say that that's a type of success, you know, is that they might not like all the policies, but they don't realize how much something, how nice it is that they have it. And yeah, uh, sure. and that's a kind of a mark of success that I don't think most people would understand is that you know, I've created mm-hmm. something that's uh, pretty amazing for them and they don't even sure. realize it. They just think it magically happened that, that this place is there and they think this is what the world is like. You know? Yeah. But it, 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 you know, that comes at a great expense. 
and uh, you know my sanity. Uh, <laughs> I, I could sit and tell you a, a thousand stories that are, you know, somebody that took advantage of that, or somebody mm. that misbehaved in a in a pretty particular way, or whatever. And, but you know, I, I do recognize that the overall of what I've accomplished is pretty extraordinary. Yeah. Well, you've, you've been a, a mainstay in that community for a long time. I mean, you've, you've seen kids grow up and stuff like lots of kids. Yeah. You know, it's, I, I used to talk about that. I used to say to people, it's, uh, you know, first off, everybody gets taller than me, yeah, you know, that's, that's, that's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> that's a little, a little bit upsetting at times, but, <laughs> but you know, everybody gets taller than me and, and it's interesting to see, though, what their lives are like. And, you know, mm. some of those guys that grew up with very wealthy parents end up being very poor later in their lives. And then the opposite happens. People who grew up that had very poor families are very successful. Uh-huh. And when you look at the gambit of people who came out of that uh, store, there's like some are lawyers now. My uh, one business partner... Uh, Spencer, who mm-hmm. was with me for many years, is about to have his doctorate. And I saw a lot of kids go off and fight in the war, you know, oh, yeah. and huh. come back. And, um, and some of them are, have been affected negatively and some have been affected very positively. And, mm-hmm. and you do get to see the human condition, right? It's mm, sure. uh, when you, when you have, yeah, multiple generations. Uh, some of the kids that are coming in now are the children of the kids that were coming in at the very beginning. Oh, sure. Yeah. And they're not even young. You know, they're yeah. they're about to grow and, you know, they're about to be adults too. Well, I mean, you know, Jeff and Josh and I are talking about coming into the store. And it's like I started going there when I was like, what, 15? So I'm 37 now. So that's 22 years ago. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously you've seen – couple of generations go through there and yeah yeah i mean that's that's pretty incredible i mean to be able to touch and influence that many lives i mean obviously you're <laughs> selling them magic cards which is sort of a double-edged sword um, <laughs> are you are you helping them or are you ruining them no but but i mean you know, that's you, know, the large... thing that, you know what's really funny is is that you know when you look at a uh when you look at the rules of magic right and you look at those sixth edition rules and you realize it's just a contract Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's formatted exactly like a contract, right? Yeah. And, uh, and, and people are learning about law and they're learning yeah. about, you know, these are rules and this is, yeah. you're not allowed to break this rule. And, and then when you look at the rules that aren't in the game, right? The, you know, what is the etiquette of the, yeah. of how you behave around other people? And they're learning all this, right? right? They're learning right from wrong. They're, they're learning all kinds of things. I think I've, I think I've probably influenced more people in a positive way than in, in a negative way. Yes, I I would think so too. I didn't mean to diminish your yes. accomplishment because I, I mean, you know, overall, magic is a. I think it's a valuable experience to to learn and to play magic. Like you're, there's more than just playing a game. There's social interaction. There's you know everything that goes along with it, and obviously that's that's important for people to learn and experience. Yeah, all board games, I think, are that way. You know, board games and just general play, you know, when people are outside throwing a Frisbee, you're, you're learning. 
Uh, right. And it's, and it's a, in a way to learn competitiveness and, you know, determination and, uh, you know, how to improve yourself over time. I mean, like in many ways, since magic is such a lifestyle game, like you're, you're in it for the long haul if you get into it. And so you're, you're building these skills continuously and over, a, over a larger scale than, you know, another board game. Like you, you don't get this from Monopoly. You're right. Yeah. It's really funny. One of the things I noticed early on uh, in community building is uh, that when people started, when I started recognizing that people were using words that didn't exist, you mm. know, um, when people would, let me think of an example. Uh, well, all kinds of weird things would happen. Like, uh, do you remember the sandwich punch game? And, yeah. uh, you know, we had an episode course. about that on this podcast. Yeah. And it's like, uh, I don't think other people did that. I think it was, no. a, I think that was a magic thing. I don't, and I don't know if it started that, here. That or, was our own brand of idiocy. That yeah, came out of right? too serious. So, you know, and, uh, and then there I mean, was, it wasn't invented there, but yeah, I mean, I don't know where, yeah, I don't know the actual origin of it, but, um, <laughs> oh, man. but that was like this thing that bonded everybody together. Right. And, you know, like when people use the word noob, or, you know, they were, they probably came out of like video gaming or something, but it, sure. but it was something that was, you know, used within a culture and, um, and, and this game has a lot of words mm-hmm. that you wouldn't see. I mean, you know, regular people don't use, right. uh, in their regular vocabulary. And it's like, I just grabbed a stack of cards to try to see if there was any, any keywords in here. Like, uh, you know, like how we use trample and, or, you know, or mentor. It's interesting, for example, like going to Gen Con, like how many people demoing games will be like, do you play magic? You tap this card. Yeah. Like, obviously they can't use the word tap, but, right. but they're teaching it as tap or like, you know, do you, do you play magic? You mill these three cards and then, you know, and it's like mill isn't a word. Like that's not. Um, right. Yeah, the, the way we use it is is totally unique to magic. But yeah, that's a good example. That's a really good example. And the thing is, is like uh, you see this, and you guys were doing it with your t-shirts uh, yeah. on the Team Serious t-shirts. Uh, there's some t-shirts that have to do with Belcher or something. Mm-hmm. And it's like if anybody saw that, they wouldn't know what it is. But if you're right. a magic player, you go, "I got something in common with that guy." Yeah, I get it. Yeah, magic is uh, – it, th- that's another thing that makes it really strong is that there's this – it's this uh, – and you know what's really interesting about it is that if you look at like almost anything else like video games or uh, the old baseball cards right, and, those, and those things that have been really popular at different times, mm-hmm. they always have competitors that help to drive it, you know comic books okay. you have dc comics and you have marvel comics and you have idw and uh, you know image and a whole bunch of other companies mm-hmm. and then you know and then uh in baseball cards you had tops fleer upper deck you had right and mm-hmm. even in trains I, I think back then they had lionel and they had uh i don't know i'm sure there were other companies making them. yeah sure and this is one company making this thing Right, and it and it, and nobody else is allowed to do anything with it. They yeah. have they have complete control over it, and I hope they understand the responsibilities of that as we move into this next phase of its life cycle. Sure. Um, because this part of the life cycle is different than anything else, because we're going to be seeing multimedia. 
we're going to be seeing mm. movies. We're going to be seeing mm-hmm. TV shows and stuff, right? And as long as they have, you know, unlike Marvel, who had their property split up between three companies for movies, mm. all competing and saying, we have the right to do whatever we want with it, right? Nobody has that right to say that because Wizards can, whoever they're working with, they got to know that they're in charge. Wizards needs right. to know that they're in charge. Yeah, Wizard, Wizards is going to drive this rather than... Yeah, and I think they know that. And I think that yeah. like the what went on between them and was it Fox that had their license? Uh-huh. They had that thing for, I, I think it was 12 years. And they yeah, prevented yeah. them from doing anything with it because Fox wanted to assign, what, the guy that destroyed Fantastic Four. Oh, we're going to put our guy that destroys movies, you know, destroy, <laughs> destroys franchise on your property. Wouldn't that be great? Um, you know, and then they just they can drag their feet and, and prevent that from happening. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 Wizards needs to see themselves as more of a caretaker at this point. They've, right. they've they've figured out how to continue the product and continue to be successful and make money off of it, but they need to make sure that they're not going to do anything wrong with their brand and their image. And which I think they're doing. Yeah, and and that's really all they have to do. They can overprint cards because ten years from now it ain't going to be overprinted. Yeah, you know, right. it's, there's, uh, there's going to be demand suddenly. Yeah, right. yeah. As long as there's not some something significant that changes the culture of everybody. Right. As long as people are still playing card games, still playing board games, they'll. <laughs> yeah, because there's certain things, even even something as horrific as like World War II. This game would probably survive that. It's pretty easy to pack up a magic deck and take it to yeah. a battlefield. <laughs> yeah, right or whatever. You know? Yeah, no, you're you're probably right. Can you imagine that though? You know, like a hundred years from now, this this game could still be around, it's still going on. Yeah, yeah, maybe. and still being owned by one company. We we actually wrote an article about that where we were talking about people trading magic cards as if it's real money. You could go into mm-hmm. a store, you know, and and buy a steak with it. You know, <laughs> sure. Well, I mean, people have people have liquefied magic cards in that way. I mean. I mean, I've traded magic cards for non-magic card products. Like, yeah, I remember you getting a uh, a Wii or something. Got there. the Nintendo Wii for a mock sapphire, which at the time was a fine deal. <laughs> How's that going now? It's fine. I still use the Wii. <laughs> That's fair. I mean, I had to buy a mock sapphire later, but it was fine too. <laughs> Are there any other? I guess what we didn't answer, Dave, was: Is there anything that you regret or would have done differently? Oh man! I know that's a hard question to ask. Because too big to answer. Because it's like, oh well, I definitely wouldn't open a card store. (laughs) Probably wouldn't have. uh, You know, sold all those black (laughs) lotuses. Back when I still looked young, (laughs) yeah, people used to go, "Why?" You know, this guy never ages. Uh, I went to one of the kids, you know, grew up and invited me to his wedding. And, uh, and I went there and they introduced me to everybody. And they said, it's really kind of strange. We were all like, you know, nine, ten years old when we met Dave. And yeah. now we're the same age as him. And uh, <laughs> now that I'm in my 50s, I'm starting to actually look like I'm 50. And uh, I used to joke around and say, uh you know, I'm actually like a vampire. I'm like 300 yes. years old. And every time I need a new liver, you know, got a business like this, and some kid comes up and says, it's really easy to get the organs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
kind of wish I would have never said that joke. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, I don't good. regret anything, man. I, I, I don't. It's, uh, That's good. That's awesome. Lori is sitting here in the same room as me. And, uh, and she has said it's on and off. It's been a crazy roller coaster ride. It's, uh, you don't know. One, one year it's going to be great. Next year it might not be so good. And you yeah. might have the best year going, and then suddenly uh, it's not so good. Yeah. The, you know, there's been – I've done some things that I think uh, have – actually, I think I've done some things I think have affected the game on a national level. Um, yeah. Well, know, it sounds like it based on what you were telling Introducing the right people, you know, to each other yeah. and might be on the fringe of it. But, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of strange. You, you think about like this, like those guys, uh, the Russo brothers, right, that did the Marvel. You know, they grew up playing Magic. Like you guys, yeah. and they're a little bit older than you, I think. You know, but I don't think they're as old as I am. And you know, they talk about how they played Magic, and they were so excited when they found out that Disney was purchasing Fox and that they were going to get the uh, the rights, oh, yeah. and they wanted to take a leave of absence from uh, Marvel so they could work on uh, Magic mm-hmm. and uh, do some animation thing or something with it, right? You know, and you think. If the Donays uh, brothers, if they, they didn't have the influence they had on 6th edition, if I mm-hmm. wouldn't have brought them to that tournament and they wouldn't have met the people to get into there and those 6th edition rules didn't happen, right. could magic have died off at that point? Yeah. And uh, and then ceased to exist. And, you know, and because it didn't, people kept adding more lore to it to the point that now they got like 27 years, is it? twenty? Whatever the number is. in 2086, yeah. Yeah, years of uh, storytelling, which is about right where Marvel was when Marvel started entering into movies. Yeah. And so, like, 15 years from now, the biggest movies could be based around Magic the Gathering. Yeah, sure. Yeah, and, you know, even you, Nat, you you know, you have had influence on the game, too. And, and, uh, you know, directly there at Wizards. And... And to think later, you might go, wow, I can't believe I'm watching this movie about something that I worked on and yeah, has right. been a part of like my entire life. Yeah, I think the, the magic property itself is influential. It's going to do a lot. And you've, you've obviously been there on the ground floor. You were there early on and doing major things. Doing my part. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. Keep it going. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, you know, you've uh, certainly shared a lot with us today over probably what's going to end up being a couple episodes okay um yeah so uh thanks for being on here and for hanging out and for being such a cool store owner i think i invited you to my wedding too right you did yeah yeah so yeah and i, yeah. I came yeah i came right. to your yeah. wedding yeah you were you've 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 been there since since the beginning <laughs> yeah we were uh we were very honored to be at your wedding yeah good but yeah you know thanks for Thanks for being our friend all these years and for having such an influence on the game that has influenced us. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, thanks for being my friend, too. It's happened again. You've wasted another perfectly good hour listening to Serious Vintage. I'm Jeff Mose. I'm Nat Mose. I'm Josh Chappell. And I'm David Baum. And we hope you'll join us next time for more Serious Vintage. Take a little trip.
Lamb. And he looks at me and he says, that's how easy it is to get away with murder. 